Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Tom Griffin. I work over at Chaminade High School. Uh, it's great to be with you tonight. So I find Simon of Cyrene to be like a really interesting character. This is the only moment where he shows up uh, in the Gospels. Uh, he's this blip on the map. He's from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. And there's scholars who say that there's a small Jewish population in Cyrene. So most likely, Simon is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. He's going about his business, and he's in the wrong time, the wrong place, looking at the crowds, and he gets singled out. And the soldiers tell him, you're carrying the cross. The phrase they use is, uh, he was pressed into service. So here's a cross that he wasn't really choosing. God would say he wasn't in the wrong place at the right, wrong time, but the right place at the right time. Oftentimes when we look at the idea of crosses, I think, for myself anyway, I say, well, who wants that? Who wants to carry a splintered, huge cross? And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, there's a, one of my favorite passages, it's called The Conditions for Discipleship. And Jesus says, basically, like, these are the directives if you want to follow me. They're not really options. Uh, they're not like directions that you ought to follow. These are the things that you have to follow. And we all know it, right? Pick up your cross every day and come after me. If you want to follow me, lose everything. Spare nothing. Throw everything away. And then you'll be close to me. Then you'll be a true disciple. Again, who wants that? Simon of Cyrene, I think, teaches us these two things, to suffer with and to suffer for others. Suffering with others means I spend time with someone in their suffering, and suffering for someone means I stand in their place. And both of these occur like when we're not choosing them, the cross is kind of just thrown upon, upon us. So suffering with. When uh, I was leaving school about two years ago, I was, I got out early right from Chaminade and I'm driving home and my phone rings. I have Bluetooth in my car and it's my mom. So it's very weird for my mom to be calling me at this time because usually I'm still in school. So I think right away something's up. I pick up the phone, I hear her voice cracking. I said, mom, what's the matter? Uh, Dad and I just got into an accident. We're okay, uh, but where are you? I said, I'm leaving school. She said, we're on the corner of Glen Cove Road and Jericho Turnpike, which is where I would get on to go home for the parkway. So as I'm driving, it's pouring out, and I'm in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, and I'm in the right lane. So I inch over and cut somebody off, and now I'm about a mile away, and I start, hopefully there's no cops here, start driving on the, the painted lines of the median, and now I'm about a quarter mile away, everything's gridlocked, can't move. So I park, probably illegally again, in a 7-Eleven, and I'm in a shirt and tie, and I run about a quarter of a mile to that corner, and I get there, and it's a complete mess. And my parents' car is the worst one, and they're still in the car. So now I'm getting worried. So I run up, uh, I get to the car, my dad's door's smashed, he's still in the car, typical Irish humor, he's pissed. And my mom is in the car just looking forward, really upset. So I start yanking on my dad's door. He starts literally kicking it. We get it open. I get my mom out of the car. We cross the street. It's still raining. And I remember that my dad went straight to the cops 
and I'm holding my mom like this. And my mom is literally like shaking. It's cold, it's rainy, and she's scared. And I say to her twice, like, mom, it's okay, like, everything's all right. You don't have to worry. And she doesn't say anything. I say it a third time, and a voice in my head says, Tom, shut up and just hold her. On the way home, when I'm driving and I see her in the rearview mirror, she's in the back seat. She's just, again, kind of staring and still kind of rattled, still shaken. And I decide that I just need to shut up and be with her in her suffering. There's nothing that I could say to her to help her. With Simon of Cyrene, in all the occasions in the Bible that he shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's no conversation recorded between him and Jesus, which means that they probably didn't say anything. Why didn't they say anything? I think if we really think about it, it becomes obvious, because Jesus was absolutely mangled. He was beaten, he was bloodied, he was bruised. He just came from the scourging. And we just heard it. Soldiers are spitting on him. He was beaten. According to Jewish law, a prisoner could be flogged, beaten up to 40 times, but that was the limit. Roman law had no limit. The only stipulation for Roman law was that the prisoner's flesh needed to be barely hanging on when they left the scourging. So there's something called a cat of nine tails, and this was the whips that the Romans would use. It was basically braided leather, nine cords, woven together, and at the end of the leather are these random objects like glass, metal balls, hooks, uh, sharp bones. And the Roman guards were told to drive the whip so hard into the prisoner's flesh that those random objects would dig into the flesh. And the soldier was meant to pull, and the flesh would be torn from the inside out. So when Simon is looking at Jesus, he sees him and he knows there's nothing he can say to help. There's nothing that he could possibly come up with that's going to make anything better. He's just under the cross, like this, next to him. Probably looking at him. Probably getting hit by the cords from the soldiers. Probably getting spit on and stuff thrown at him from the crowds. But he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And he doesn't say anything. He just decides to suffer with him. And in our lives, I think there's all people who we know, family members, friends, people at work, that are in some way mangled, that are kind of beaten up and bloodied and bruised, like Jesus. Maybe there's an illness or a disease. Maybe it's anxiety, depression, addiction. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I make the excuse to say, it's not my responsibility to suffer with this person, to spend time with them, to help them. I come up with a better idea rather than spending time with them. And Simon of Cyrene shouts, and Jesus shouts to us tonight, I think, and says, suffer with people, whether that means spending time with them, but you don't need to say anything, just be with them in the suffering. Suffering for, right? This is when we stand in the place of somebody else when they're suffering. I had uh, my first son, he's about, his name's Benedict, he's six months old. Uh, he's home now, hopefully sleeping, not driving my wife crazy. But when I started going back to work, I realized very quickly that as a dad, uh, sleep is not a right, it's a privilege. So as I'm getting ready for the work day and we're putting him down, Ben's having a tough time. And fall asleep, 
around one o'clock in the morning, he gets up and it's bad, right? He won't go back to sleep. My wife feeds him, still won't go back. An hour later, we're still up with him. And then in my head, I have this internal conversation, like get out of bed, take him to the living room. My wife's been up all day with him, all night. I do this for her, do this for her, do this for her. And just as about, I'm about to get up, I hear and feel the covers get swung off the bed and my wife get up and grab him and go into the other room. And I can say this, I'm ashamed to say it, but I can say it without getting hurt because she's not here. I literally pretended like I was sleeping. And don't tell me you've never done that, in fact, kids. I pretended like I was sleeping so she wouldn't see me awake and look at me and be like, yo, dude, get up. And that whole day, I really felt like a scumbag. Like I had this opportunity to help her in this moment, to suffer for her, and I let it go by. So about a month and a half later, same thing happens, except this time it's 10 times worse. I had a really rough day, like long day at work. I get home, it's tough to put him down. Again, he wakes up at two. Now it's 3.45 and we're both still in bed. It's kind of like, who's gonna get him? So I get up, I bring him into the living room and I'm sitting with him. Now it's 4.30. He finally falls asleep. I lay down on the couch, I'm wide awake. You can't fall asleep. Five o'clock, my alarm goes off. My whole day was not peaches and unicorns and dandelions. Right? It was really hard and I didn't like it and I was not happy. But I knew that I was given this opportunity to suffer for her, to stand in her place. And I took advantage of it. And man, I was more tired than I was when I didn't do it. But I knew that I, in that moment, it was handed to me, kind of like Simon. And when you take it, when you accept it, it's always so much better. Always find God in it. Most of you guys here have probably seen The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson. Uh, I love that movie. What I, what I really in, am intrigued by is the actor that plays Jim Caviezel. Uh, my brother and my wife think I have a bromance thing going on with him, but it's inaccurate. He's just, I'm very interested by his intensity that he acts with. Uh, everything is like really intense. And I heard him describing one of these scenes where they're shooting him carrying the splintered beams. And they say like everything in the movie was real. Like the beam was really heavy. It was actually splintered. It was tough. And he's carrying the beam. And in one situation, he falls to the ground. Right? The soldiers throw him to the ground. The beam goes one way and his shoulder goes the other. And his shoulder pops out of its socket. And in agony, real agony now, not acting, he like drags his face into the sand. And Mel Gibson sees this and says, now that is suffering. And it's actually inside of the film, the moment when his shoulder pops out. The scene of the crucifixion, Caviezel says, it takes five months just to shoot Jesus hanging on the cross, which is absurd. He says when he was up on the cross, and there's testimony to this, he, this cross was literally struck by lightning. After the film was over and they were done, everything was shot, he had open heart surgery because of five months of hypothermia. And he has this line that I love. He says, the sacrifice made my performance. The sacrifice made my performance. He was willing to suffer 
for, really for the whole world. So we could all see images of what it would actually look like for somebody to be crucified. And in our lives, we often, I think, miss out on the opportunity to suffer for others. Or we say, not my role, not my responsibility. Like, what are, what are the things in your life right now that we could easily sacrifice for, or a person that we could sacrifice for, but we avoid it or we ignore it? Or there's certain people that we say, yeah, they don't really deserve me to sacrifice for them because maybe I don't like them. And I think Simon of Cyrene would say, take it, like, do it. Allow yourself to be pressed into service. So with Holy Week coming upon us on Sunday, the choice is ours. Let us accept the invitation to be like Jim Caviezel, to be like Simon of Cyrene, to suffer with others and to suffer for others to allow our suffering to make our performance. Because when we're under the cross with him, we meet him face to face, and it's bloody, and it's bruised, and it's dark. But we see him, and he sees us. And he kind of says, this is the place to be. So, ask Jesus now, where do you want me to go? But don't be surprised when he calls you under the wood of the cross. Because where he is, is where he wants you to be. And because love shines strongest in the suffering. And his love conquers everything.